Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Let me introduce our guest, Ryan Hurd, the author of Sleep Paralysis, A Guide to Hypnagogic Visions and Visitors of the Night, co-editor of the two-volume research set Lucid Dreaming, New Perspectives on Consciousness and Sleep, and his work has been featured on NPR, CNN, Mashable, Vice, Gawker, and much more. He's lectured at venues as varied as Stanford University and the Rhine Research Center at Duke. He is currently serving as a director of spiritual development Development and Unitarian Society of Germantown in Philadelphia, and is a lecturer in psychology and holistic studies at John F. Kennedy University. Ryan, how did you get involved in investigating sleep paralysis? <laughs> well, it came upon me pretty honestly, George. What happened is I was 14 years old, and my story is really typical. It's what happens to a lot of people who've never had this experience before. I was 14 years old, and I woke up from a nightmare. And the nightmare itself, it was a bad dream in which I answered a phone, and something said through the phone, darkness rules. It scared me awake. scared me awake. I don't blame you. I felt that feeling of being held down by something that was not me in my bedroom. And it's a feeling that people who have gone through this, I don't think I have, but it's horrible, isn't it? It's a it's a it's a very creepy horrible feeling because you feel awake and aware when it happens. And so you feel like you're in your right mind and at the same time you're having this experience of something controlling you. Right, I've always been told that uh, the phrase old hag syndrome originated from sleep paralysis. Is that true? That's true. It comes out of Newfoundland up in Canada and it was David Hufford, the research of David Hufford that really popularized and made you know the world aware that there's all these cultural traditions that are you know similar that experience people experience sleep paralysis in similar ways but what he really discovered was that even people who don't have uh, a cultural background for this phenomena they still have some of these same experiences and so it's deeper than just you know, fairy tales of the boogeyman. You know, the boogeyman is in us, essentially. It's part of our neurobiology, perhaps. Physically, explain what sleep paralysis is. Yeah, so, so it's, you know, when you bring it, break it down, it's the brief inability to move or speak just while you're falling asleep or you're waking up. Uh, and, and then sometimes it's accompanied by, by visions, by dream visions that are projected into the waking world. Hence the, hence the old hag. That's it. That's it. And so and it's experienced often with this feeling of pressure on the throat and on the chest. And this happens because when we are, essentially we're in, kind of in between two worlds. We're in between the dream world and the waking world. And when we're in the dream world, we're in REM sleep, our mus- muscles are paralyzed. And so we actually experience the feeling of our diaphragm being a little bit of a dead weight when we try to breathe. We're breathing really shallowly. And when we try to gasp for air because we're scared, suddenly that feels like intense pressure on the chest. And so basically, our fear cycles in and makes it worse. Is it a medical condition, Ryan? You know, it's, it's mostly harmless for most people who experience this as a sleep symptom. Um, however, there's some people who suffer really terribly from sleep paralysis, either because they have another sleep condition such as narcolepsy or sleep apnea, 
or it kind of blends into their post-traumatic stress disorder or other really severe anxiety disorders. And so these people, you know, suffer endlessly, night after night, multiple sessions in a row. Uh, The good news is it can be treated. I'll be curious next hour when we take phone calls how many of our listeners have experienced this. And as you just mentioned, in some cases it does happen pretty often, doesn't it? Yeah, some people really do suffer more than others, but for the vast amount of people who have it, it's like once in their life or twice in their life. And and some recent statistics are saying that something like maybe 8% of the world's population has had this once in their life. Is it originating from the brain? Well, that is basically the neurobiological explanation. It is a blend of the sleep state and the waking state. It's sort of like we're caught between worlds. And so what happens in this case is that we get that REM paralysis still going on, and also our mind, even though we feel awake and aware, we're still in a dreamy kind of mind. And so... Not only are we projecting dream imagery into waking life, but we also have sort of an ability to experience more intense fear, you know, because the amygdala, that middle part of the brain, Mm -hmm. is more active during REM sleep than ordinary consciousness. Is there any data that shows whether men or women get it more? Yeah, it seems that essentially that women experience it more. Really? Okay. This could be, you know, related to some other sociological factors related to anxiety, um, as well as, um, you know, environmental racism. You know, basically people who have problems with sleep in general, who don't have the ability to get full night's sleep because of their jobs or their lack of jobs, are people who suffer more. Is it the same as night terrors, or is that something else? Oh, good question. Yeah, so night terrors are actually something different. That is something that happens in a deep... That's like awakening out of deep sleep, out of stage four sleep. And it feels like... Often people can't even remember it. They sort of just start thrashing about in bed, and and their partner will, will try to hold them down and calm them down, and then they'll kind of come out of it. And it's, it's sort of like mucking about in deep sleep. You know, sleep paralysis really is so crystal clear. The consciousness, the awareness, uh, it's really a, a nightmare of its own. Interesting take. And uh, if you were to have one or the other, which would you prefer, sleep paralysis or the uh, night terrors? Oh, you know, I take sleep paralysis any, any night because the thing about sleep paralysis is it's really, there's a blessing wrapped up in, in this curse. And, and the blessing piece is that once you get over your fear and you realize that you can't be harmed, you can shift it, you can rotate it, you can move it into a lucid dream experience or even an out-of-body experience. Does it happen more often when you're going to sleep or when you're waking up? It depends on the person. You know, for myself, it happens more in the middle of the night when I'm waking up and then drifting back into sleep. So say it's like, you know, two in the morning or so, and then I'll wake up immediately after a dream. So I must have come out of REM sleep. And then I, as I'm drifting back down, suddenly I'll feel that, that kind of pressure take hold. And then I'm like, okay, get mm-hmm. ready, here it comes. <laughs> well, you're basically, your brain's awake, your body really isn't. Isn't that what it is? That's a great way to say it. The brain, you think of it as the mind awake, the body asleep. And so it's like you're stuck, you're stuck in the threshold 
it was, turns out to be the threshold of a, of a beautiful gateway into other extraordinary experience. But most people don't get past the fear. And so I'm always just reminding people, you know, this is normal. This is something that is, is physical. And if you remind yourself in the moment that this is true, that really calms the fear back down, and so people can break out of it, usually within 30 seconds or so. I used to scare the living daylights out of myself, Ryan, when I was a kid, because I used to think about the theory of death, and that death was like sleep paralysis, where they put you in the casket, your brain's awake, you wake up, but you can't move because you're dead. Your body's not functioning, but your mind is, so you're stuck in this casket. Uh, you, you, you go crazy. Yeah, oh my gosh. And you know what's really interesting about that uh, sort of morbid fantasy is it, it, it relates to some vampire mythology, mm-hmm. which is also related to sleep paralysis, this sort of, um, you, know, you know, of course, these like medieval tales, right, of, of people who were buried alive because they actually were in a coma or something like that. When people experience sleep paralysis, they, they, their mind jumps to those cases. Um, and, and, of course, vampires show up during sleep paralysis hallucinations in some, for some people in some cultures. They're the figure that emerges out of the mists at the side of the bed. You're just tuning in. We're with Ryan Hurd. We are talking about sleep paralysis and nightmares. His book is called Sleep Paralysis. What is the intruder experience, Ryan? So this is where it gets interesting, right, because... Because medical science, you know, can explain and talk about the, you know, the physical components of, of sleep paralysis is such a boring medical term, but the the visionary experience of it, the the encounter with an autonomous other that happens in the bedroom at night, that's the intruder experience, and, and people have it in in a, in a wide spectrum. They might, you know, they might hear footsteps coming towards them or, or, or feel somebody or something sit on the bed next to them, you know, the way the mattress kind of sinks down. Uh, and so it can be quite creepy. And then, and then the full experience is when people see the entity or the stranger, as I like to call it, sort of standing over them, hovering over them, and then putting their hands on them. And in, in some cases... Hmm people have experiences of sexual or you know, aggressive right. assault by these encounters. Well, we also get a lot of reports of extraterrestrial visitations where people feel as if there's an E.T. in their bedroom or has taken them somewhere and brought them back. Is that the same thing? I would never try to do a direct correlation between those two phenomena, but let me tell you that there is some really interesting research that shows that people who report alien abduction are also reporting sleep paralysis experiences. And then there's another third piece about these are folks who also tend to have had some, some trauma in their lives. And so there is something interesting about that triad there. And yeah, you know, I mean, like we talked about, you talked about the old hag, you know, um, other people experience ghosts on the body, um, you know, some part in Western culture, we might see this autonomous other in its malevolent form as the alien. It doesn't mean that aliens do or do not exist. I rather think of it as that 
sleep paralysis is the state of mind where we encounter these kind of beings. Is it is it a paranormal experience? What's going on here? I you know it's absolutely up to what the believer thinks because our beliefs play such a huge role in how this thing is is encountered in in the ways that the experience can turn. There is some interesting research showing that folks who believe in paranormal experiences and have other paranormal experiences also have sleep paralysis encounters such as this. And so there could be a feedback interpretation there. Now, when somebody goes out of body, and uh, many people have been able to do that, is that related to sleep paralysis? Is there some kind of syndrome that's about the same? Yeah, so, so one of the things about sleep paralysis that's so fascinating is besides these visual hallucinations, you get these motor hallucinations as well. And, and so, so one can feel the body begin to shift or turn in sort of almost a separation of the idealized self with the identification with the body. And this can result in an out-of-body experience. And I've had this many times, and it's so easy to happen, out of, out of sleep paralysis. And really, if one has the inclination to do so, it can be done pretty easily. Interesting take. Now, you said that it's controllable. How do you control this? In terms of sleep paralysis itself? To be able to get rid of it, for example. So, so this is the tricky part, is that sleep paralysis... Can, I would say it's manageable. Uh, you know, people who are prone because to it, it still happens to you, doesn't it? It does. It still happens to me. I had the experience maybe a week ago, middle middle of the night, and even after all these years, I still have to coach myself through it in the moment. I mean, and at so, what point do you tell yourself it's only sleep paralysis? You'll be fine in a few minutes. As soon as your body wakes up to your brain, you'll be okay. I mean, can you yeah, tell yourself right. that? It's right. It's like it's basically like a mantra. <laughs> yeah, it's a mantra. But the the main thing that really can can affect pe- they change people's reality about how often that they experience it for a lot of people is paying attention to to sleep hygiene, about the quality of sleep that they're getting, and attending to and and, and helping work with anxiety uh, and and just. Yeah, being able to get rest, which, you know, and that's, the, that's something that's very difficult to actually do. But mindfulness practices, noticing how much caffeine you take in, you know, staying away from alcohol before bed, you know, th- these kind of things can really make a difference in how many times you have sleep paralysis. In my case, where I don't have it, is it because I'm not remembering that I have it? Or maybe I just don't have it? You probably don't have it in terms of the awareness of it, but when you're having a dream, your body is actually paralyzed at the time. So, you know, the mechanism that... that mechanism well, and I do dream. Everybody does. Right, exactly. And so, and if we didn't, if we weren't paralyzed in our dreams, we'd be, you know, punching and hitting our partners next to us as we battle, the, you know, bad guys in our dreams. And so... You know, that's sort of the evolutionary psych piece to this, is that that's a really helpful mechanism. Um, and then what happens here is sleep paralysis seems to be just a little bit of a twist on it. And, hey, guess what? You're going to be paralyzed, and you're going to project your worst nightmares in front of you. How long is the body paralyzed before you realize this is 
paralysis and I'm going to wake up? Yeah, for most people, it's, it's just, say, 30 seconds or a minute, maybe two minutes. Which is a long time. It can be, right. That's a long time. It's long enough to say, hey, I can't get out of this. Can you breathe during that period? You can. And this is what's so, so interesting is that if you remember, I can breathe, and you don't try to gulp in breath like we do when we're fearful, but take a slow, measured, normal breath, you'll realize, oh, I, I can breathe. I'm good. And when we can control our breath, we can control our fear. And that is really one of the key, I'd say one of the key things to learn for those who are just getting a handle of their sleep paralysis right now is learn how to control your breath. And, and once you've got that sort of anchor, you can try to wake yourself up. And so one of the ways that I recommend for people to try to wake themselves up is to try to wiggle their toes or their fingers That's or to scrunch their face uh, so they're, you know, um, to make a face because these, you know, these parts of the body can break the, that REM paralysis, and then you can come out of it pretty easily. Does sleep paralysis make you not want to go to sleep? Yes, it does. And so many people will have a sleep paralysis experience and, of course, just be too scared to go back to sleep. They'll sleep with the light on. Uh, they just won't sleep for the rest of the night. And, and knowing what we know about sleep hygiene, that sleep paralysis comes and goes with how much regular sleep that you're getting and quality sleep, it, you know, it creates this, this cycle uh, where you're going to have it again because you're not getting enough sleep. So breaking that cycle is so important, you know, finding ways to feel safe, to feel grounded and rested where you sleep. And, you know, for different people, that's, it's different. It could be about if you have a bedroom door to lock it. Uh, it could be about, about saying prayers or mantras before bed or doing a little bit of, of uh, you know, sleep yoga before sleep to kind of make the body feel more relaxed or even reading. So just find kind of your way of relaxing before sleep and and that will make the experience less common. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.